Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 183 called Allison M. Today's episode is sponsored by InCircle. If you guys have been around here for a little while, you may have heard this week's sponsor as a recurring guest on my show. It's my dear, dear friend, Abby Feeder, who founded InCircle Fertility after her own six-year struggle with infertility. Abby holds the hearts and hands of women and couples navigating the turbulence of infertility. I want to read you guys something one of Abby's recent clients wrote because it really resonated with me. She said, having Abby and in InCircle at your side throughout the IVF process is like having a mom without the drama, a sister without the competition, a cheerleader without the pom-poms, a best friend who lets you be very one-sided, and a therapist whose specialty happens to 100% directly overlap with what you're going through. I tell Abby repeatedly that if she'd been my coach throughout my own infertility struggle, she'd have saved me a lot of nights crying on the bathroom floor. What I love about InCircle is that it provides a holistic approach from guidance and planning and decision-making to patient advocacy to -to day-to-day emotional support. All of this from somebody who has been there. And the coolest part is that InCircle is giving Infertile AF listeners a free 30-minute support session. So check out InCircleFertility.com slash AF. that's A-L-I-A-F, and you will get your 30-minute support session from Abby and InCircle. I really can't recommend them highly enough. Again, go to InCircleFertility.com slash AF. Thanks, InCircle. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code ALLY15, you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code ALLY15, A-L-I-1-5, for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. Okay, guys. So today I am talking to Allison, whose story begins with a diagnosis of leukemia at the age of three years old. Allison's going to tell me all about her diagnosis, going through chemo and radiation, and getting a life-saving bone marrow transplant from her sister, who was just one year old at the time. Now a childhood cancer survivor, Allison's going to tell me all about how her treatment as a three-year-old came into play when it came time to try to have babies. So we're going to talk about freezing her eggs, having cysts on her ovaries, going through two unsuccessful rounds of IVF, and so much more. She's also going to talk about having a hysterectomy, using an egg donor and a surrogate, and how today she is the manager of the egg donor program at Conceivabilities, helping other people navigate egg donation and more. So it's an incredible story. She is a total badass. And without further ado, this is Allison's infertility story. Hello, Allison. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Let's dive right in. Tell me about you. And did you always want to have kids and be a mom? Sure. So yes, I always wanted to have children. I am one of three. 
and I'm very close to my family. I'm very close to my siblings. Um, So I always knew that I wanted to start a family of my own. When I was three years old, I was diagnosed with chronic myelogenous leukemia. Mm -hmm. And I was given actually a very short lifespan. But I was very lucky in that I was enrolled in a trial and I had a bone marrow transplant from my sister. Wow. Along with a lot of chemotherapy and radiation. Um, so I was able to recover from that leukemia. Oh my um, gosh. That must have been so much for your family to go through. I mean, I can't, as an adult, I appreciate it so much more. And as a mom, I appreciate it so much more because, you know, as a three year old, I don't think I obviously fully understood what was happening. Mm-hmm. But my mom was a young mom at the time. And I, I just can't imagine dealing with that. I can't. I can't handle my daughter when she has a cold, let, right. alone, let alone a really serious illness. Yeah. Do you remember anything from that time? So it's really hard to distinguish whether I remember actual things or I've seen pictures. Mm-hmm. I believe that I remember a few, like there's a few days and a few things I remember, but I definitely know that I didn't know how sick I was. Mm-hmm. And I... I don't think overall I remember it because I was so young. Okay. Where were you guys? Where did you live? So we, um, I'm originally from Boston and I actually, after living in New York for many years, I still live there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was treated at uh, the Dana-Farber and Children's Hospital in Boston. Okay. How did they discover the leukemia in the first place? Were you just getting sick and? Sure. I was um, really sick and I just could not, my mom could not get me better. I had a distended stomach and she took me from doctor to doctor. And then finally my pediatrician actually diagnosed me. Oh my gosh. I I mean, it's it's just devastating to think about, like you said, as a parent, you know, hearing that about your, your baby, you know, like, it's just so, I'm so grateful that you made it through and had such great care and, and the, the bone marrow was the bone marrow kind of what, what helped you out in the end, or was it like a a whole mix of things? No, I ultimately it was the transplant for my sister who was only a year old at the time. She was Um, only one year old. Yep. Oh my gosh. I know it's crazy. So she, when she was like right after she was born is when I was diagnosed. So my mom basically had a newborn and a newly diagnosed child. Wow. I know. Was your dad in the picture? Yes, he was. Okay. Okay. Um, But my mom's kind of a force. Well, she is a force. Yes. Okay. So fast forwarding to later, does this come into play in terms of your fertility story, this cancer diagnosis and, you know, being a cancer survivor? Absolutely. So, you know, at the time, you know, back in 1983, they were really throwing everything at me just to get me in remission. And that involved full body radiation and chemotherapy. So they weren't concerned or really knew the effects of that. Mm-hmm. And I and I actually remember when I got my period, they didn't even know if that was going to happen. Mm. And everybody was like very excited. And I, I remember I was like so embarrassed about it in general, let alone could not understand the excitement on it. Right. Um, Embarrassed because you're like, oh my God, stop talking about me and my period. Like, oh, this is so gross. What are you talking about? Totally. So 
Um, and I was like, stop. I was like, stop telling everybody, mom. Like she, right. told, she told like all my doctors. Oh, and every and like their excitement. I was like, this is, I can't, I couldn't even, I couldn't handle it. But now <laughs> I understand why the excitement was because they didn't actually know if that would ever even happen. Right. Okay. Um, that makes sense. I will say from like the age of 13 to 18, my fertility really isn't something I ever thought about or really came into play. And then when I was in college, I was having heavy, heavy bleeding and I was getting cysts on my ovaries that were causing extreme bleeding and extreme pain. Mm -hmm. So we went through and removed the cysts and I believe twice and it, they, they were just not going away. So at that point, my doctor said to me, we really need to remove your ovaries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want, you can try to freeze your eggs. I don't know how successful that's going to be. Mm-hmm. How old and were you? I was 22. Okay. At the time. Mm-hmm. And that was after that was, you know, we had started with, you know, trying to remove the cysts a number of times, trying different medication. Um, and by 22, he was like, these need to come out. Not, nothing is, you just can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. What did that so, feel like to get that diagnosis and that, you know, those directions that you have to do this? Was it scary? It was really scary. I think I, those two years, I, you know, at first with the cyst, I was like, okay, you know, we'll remove the cyst and then we'll move forward. It's, it's not something I have to worry about. And as things were progressing, part of me thought about, okay, what if I don't have ovaries? You know, how am I going to have a child? What if I want to have a child? And I'm still fairly young at that point. Um, I'm not in a serious relationship. So it's not something I'm, I'm immediately thinking about, but it's definitely in the back of my mind. And ultimately, I think what I thought about was, okay, well, even if I don't have ovaries, I can still carry a child at that time, which is how I felt. Mm -hmm. So that will be okay. So I did go through two unsuccessful rounds of IVF. There wasn't even any eggs to extract at that point. Oh, wow. So did they determine that you like really didn't have any left after all the treatments and stuff, all the cancer treatment? Okay. Exactly. They were, um, and you know, so the, I didn't even get to a retrieval standpoint. They were, they both times they said, you know, there's nothing to retrieve. Okay. And I'm sure you, you know, you know, everybody kind of talks about sitting in that waiting room, you know, waiting to get news, waiting to go to your monitoring appointments and how like lonely that can feel. And it was really hard, especially for somebody who, you know, was doing it alone, you know, not, in a relationship, you know, just going to all those appointments myself and also just being really scared as to not only what am I, am I going to get any eggs and also what is the future going to hold for my fertility? Because I, you know, there were so many unknowns at the time. Mm -hmm. So once after I tried twice, the doctor who was very nice just said, you know, I, I cannot do this a third time. You know, we're not getting anywhere. And at that point, I did have my ovaries out and I was still really hopeful that I could have, you know, carry a child, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I was still getting some bleeding and, you know, 
I think that I had been told eventually you're going to have to have a hysterectomy, but I wasn't hearing it. Mm. So, you know, at some point I remember going to an oncology appointment with my mom, you know, just to have a checkup and my oncologist. And they both said to me, listen, like, I don't think you're going to be able to carry a child. And I was like, no, I think I can. So I was at that point, I was really in denial about it. I was, you know, kind of basically telling my doctor who was world renowned and my mom, you know, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to carry a child. Yeah. I think that denial is a very common response sometimes when you have these crushing blows in life, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, no, no, that's not going to happen to me. You know, it'll be fine. And I think just like, you know, as a child survivor of cancer and, you know, everything, I was like, no, I'll be fine. I'll plow through it. I'll get through it and I'll Mm -hmm. be fine. Mm -hmm. So, but what ended up happening a year later is I continued to have really heavy bleeding. And I was, you know, at that point told you have to have a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. Were you in pain? Yes. I was in a ton of pain. Okay. I just, I didn't care. Like, I just really didn't want to have it. It felt like such a loss for me, you know, and my mom kept saying to me, you know, well, being pregnant was so horrible for me. I was so sick all the time. You're not missing anything. And it doesn't matter really what people say. There's nothing, you know, when you're going through all of this, people can say exactly what you need to hear, but it's never the right thing. Right. Oh, it didn't matter what she said to me at that time, but you know, I just really, it was really a loss. It, I had had a lot of health scares and a lot of health, you know, setbacks and I handled them all with what I felt was grace and very easily, but this really, and and it makes sense, but it really threw me for a loop. And I think that in itself threw me for a loop. The fact that I was so upset and like devastated by this knowing full well that there was other ways to have children but just the fact that I was kind of told like this is it you are not carrying a child you're not having a child biologically you know you are done was really devastating and really took some time to to grieve Mm -hmm. you know and I very much think it is like a loss it is like a death you know you go through stages you know, anger, sadness. You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think what, you know, I did obviously get over it because, you know, all I, I had to move forward. And at the time I was actually working at Sloan Kettering, um, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. And I was working with, I started on with a project, which actually I think really helped me because I was working on a project where we were working with doctors who were diagnosing women and men who were young with, you know, cancer and talking and trying to get in there and talking to the doctors about talking about egg freezing, embryo freezing, sperm freezing before they start treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, Did you start working at MSK because of you, you know, the cancer background that you had? Like, is that what got you interested yeah. in there? That's a great question. I've always, I think because of my childhood, I've always been interested in healthcare. So Mm -hmm. I got my master's in health administration, health policy. Mm -hmm. I started working at MSK. Okay. Um, Such a great place. Yeah. It was an amazing place to work. And it was definitely because of, you know, my history as a child. Mm -hmm. So, so interesting. And it was just wonderful to felt like, you know, listen, like I couldn't save, you know, my reproductive system, but I'm going to work on a project 
where we help educate and help save others. And that was, you know, really rewarding for me. And we, you know, really worked with doctors and said, listen, and we understand that this boy is 15 years old and really doesn't even know if he wants anything to do with girls or, you know, has so many other things. But if he spends an hour sperm banking, this is going to give him, you know, options for later. Yeah. Um, And it was a really, really rewarding program. um, And I really enjoyed it. And while I'm working at that, at the time I met my husband, Andrew, who was, you know, at the time I started dating him. And very early on, I was very honest about, you know, obviously, you know, when you get serious with someone, you talk about children and how you see your life. And I was very early, you know, honest about my diagnosis and everything and my childhood. And also just about the fact that, you know, I want to have children, but it's not going to be the conventional way. And I actually, you know, we first talked about it and then we got into more detail. We went out to dinner with my mom who is almost like my historian, just because a lot of everything I don't remember. And we had like an amazing conversation. You know, my husband held my hand the whole time and just, you know, he took it all in and was like, okay, we'll, we'll just do what we have to do and we'll move mm-hmm. forward. And it was just really an amazing, you know, an amazing experience. Yeah. I really proud my person. When did you guys start talking about like, you know, in earnest building a family? I would say like within three months of dating, I, we talked about kind of how we see our future going. Mm-hmm. And at that point I was, you know, I think I kind of danced around it a little bit. And at that point I was very honest about, you know, how it would really work for me and how that would go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was, he just rolled with it, which obviously you said was, that's yeah. why he's your person, right? Exactly. I love and, that. And, you know, it's, I always talk about the irony in the fact that all this medicine, all these treatments that, you know, kept me alive also killed my opportunity to, you know, have children the conventional way. So it's, right. it's such a, you know, catch 22. Right. So tell me about when you guys started to try what happened. So originally, you know, I knew from the beginning that, you know, I think that I had kind of an advantage in the fact that I had already gone through all of these things. Like I knew I couldn't do IVF. I already had a hysterectomy. So from the beginning, I knew that I was going to need a clinic that was in a state that allowed a donation, which is actually allowed in all 50 states, but also surrogacy. And we were living in New York and surrogacy was not legal at the time. So I spoke to some of my connections at MSK and they recommended some people to talk to. So they recommended, first I spoke to a reproductive lawyer who was based in New Jersey and also had her own surrogacy practice. And it was very eye-opening. I am highly educated, you know, I'm pretty educated and I didn't understand that that's, and so I said to her, well, I want a surrogate who's Jewish like I am, who looks like me, who's educated. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, what the hell are you talking about? She's like, you don't need a surrogate who looks like you. They're not going to be related to the baby, which I totally didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And she also said, you want somebody who's had a healthy birth, who's in a you know stable relationship and, you know, who can mentally handle this. She's mm-hmm. like, all the other stuff really doesn't matter. And 
And I was like, well, what about someone who lives near me so I can be part of their journey? And she's like, no, that's not going to happen either. Yeah. A lot of these surrogates don't live in, you know, the Northeast or, you know, we want to make sure she's living in a state where, you know, surrogacy is, is legal and you're going to be able to, you know, take your kid without any problems, which is really, you know, mind blowing to me. I just assumed it would just be legal everywhere. There wouldn't be any problems. It's just amazing how much surrogacy really matters from state to state. It is Mm -hmm. fascinating. I know. Did you know anything about it before you were thrust into this world? Because I certainly didn't. And I knew nothing about it. I felt like she was speaking another language. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I didn't even know who became surrogates. Like I just, I, I, I don't even know. There was so much I didn't know. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you have to have had a baby to be a surrogate. But like, why would I know that? Right. Yeah, I just and I also didn't know that, you know, that what was really interesting is that not only did they pick me, I I mean, do I pick them? They have to pick me as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I had no idea. I thought like I'd be looking at like hundreds of people and be like, oh, this person looks great. I literally had no idea. Okay. So you're on the fast track and you're like quick learning curve, right? To figure oh, all this out. Absolutely. Quick learning curve. And then so, I um, started talking to a clinic in New Jersey because we needed to do this. And I was living in New York and New Jersey was the best place at that point to do it. Because New York, it was still not legal, right? Exactly. It was not gotcha. the surrogacy. So it is it. now, thankfully. But and, yeah, the, only up until a couple of years ago or not like just over a year ago. Yeah, just over a year ago, became legal, which was really, really exciting Mm -hmm. and about time. So we, you know, on the fast track to working on the surrogacy piece, and then we started working on the egg donor piece. And I I almost equated to looking for first, it was the same kind of process where I thought that I would have like millions of choices and so many people do this and I could find and I could find someone exactly who I wanted. And I equated it to my husband to looking for a house because at the time we were also um, looking at condos and houses. Uh-huh. Like these are the things I must have. Right. Not buy this house without, you know, all of these things. And then as you start to get in the process, you're like, well, maybe that's not as important. Yeah. You're like, we don't need a yard. We don't need a, <laughs> a sidewalk in front of the house. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, the person must have the exact same ethnicity as me. They must be close to my height. They must look exactly like me. But the bottom line is nobody looks exactly like you Mm -hmm. and nobody has the same background as you. So that was also a huge learning curve for me that I didn't really understand that. And, you know, ultimately, I wanted to work with somebody who had similar features to me. But, you know, obviously not necessarily looked exactly like me and had a similar ethnic background, you know, as I did and who was healthy. Mm -hmm. This is such an expensive process and I could not go through it more than once. Right. So So, how did you ultimately decide on on your surrogate? So ultimately the surrogate. So we found an egg donor who we really liked and she was successful um, in creating embryos. And so we had them tested and frozen. And then we were working on the surrogate piece and there's a huge weight to get a surrogate even more so now. And so, you know, ultimately the surrogate we were matched with, we got a call 
And they said, listen, there's an amazing surrogate who just became available. She was actually matched with another family. Um, that family is no longer interested because they are getting divorced. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's one thing I guess that could happen. Mm-hmm. And they were like, she's already done this before, but you have to like meet her tomorrow. And you have to like, it was a video call. And then you have to make a decision. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh my God, this is like such a huge decision. We were both traveling. We had to, we weren't, we didn't even speak with her together. And, you know, ultimately on paper, she looked great. She had done this before. She was young. Um, she had two children of her own. She was in a very stable relationship. But I think it was also, also having the conversation with her, you know, having a talk with her. She was putting me at ease. She was educating me on the process. And I just felt really comfortable with her, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, really hard. But when you're working with anybody, you know, especially in the healthcare, like you should be comfortable with your clinician. You should be comfortable with the people you're working with. And I think that that ultimately led me, led me to her. And Mm -hmm. after the phone call, I was like, I really want to be on the journey with this person. Yeah. And she must have, she felt the same way. And so we, we, you know, I went from one day being like, I don't know what I'm going to get matched to the next day, you know, giving away my life savings and signing papers. Absolutely. That must've been a good feeling though, to have a plan and have somebody Mm -hmm. that, you know, you were really happy with and then moving forward. Right. Yeah. And this felt like, you know, this felt like it had been going on for so long, just because, you know, the journey of me, you know, being sick and having children went on for so long. Mm -hmm. This felt like I was actually moving somewhere. Right. Tell me about the embryo process. So were you, you had the egg donor and then did everything go smoothly in terms of that? So our, I will say that our, we thought we were going to, we thought we were going to work with the clinics egg donor program, but typically clinics have really small egg donor programs and I just got tired of waiting and every, every, they didn't actually have a lot of egg donors and they kept saying, we're going to get more, we're going to get more. And it was really no fault of their own, but I remember we were at a wedding and I got another email saying it was going to take another month. And I was like, that's it. I was like, I'm calling an agency. Mm-hmm. Like, can we do this? Like, we're getting ready for a wedding. And I was like, nope. And I, I was like emailing agencies, like at this person's ceremony, like just, I was like, hyper-focused on it. And so, you know, I was patient and then I became really impatient. I think, you know, everybody only has so much time that they can wait and so much patience. You know, there's so many different start and stops to this whole process that I just had lost at that point. And we started working with an agency and I remember we picked one egg donor and we flew her out to our clinic and she got there and they had kind of talked about the process with her and about, you know, the retrieval that obviously involves needles. And she was like, I'm out of here. I, I don't want to do this. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, did you think the eggs were going to be taken away with like butterflies? I, and <laughs> right. Not figured out. Okay. And so we had to regroup and I was like, this is bullshit. Like, and ultimately that just wasn't our person. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I found somebody else who I felt like was even a better match who hadn't been on the site originally. Mm-hmm. And everything honestly went really smoothly with that person. She's she was you know local enough that she didn't 
have to fly. She could, I think she took a train and the process, the, you know, the clinic kept telling me, you know, she's lovely. She's really easy to work with. And it's really funny because my husband had to be at the, in the clinic at the same time to create the embryos. And I just was like, this is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you guys aren't meeting and you're creating these embryos. And it wasn't yeah. that I didn't want to meet her. The way that it was kind of told to me was that like, that's not a choice. This is anonymous. Mm-hmm. You know, now that's really not the way in which people present this. There's, you know, options. Like if you want to meet your egg donor, most donors are open to that. And I'm only saying that because I work in this field, but, you know, there are options and ways to meet the donor, but it, there's also 23 and me. So really nothing's anonymous anymore. Right. You know? But it was that part, that process itself after, you know, a bit of start and stops went really smoothly. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So then what happened when she did the transfer? So the transfer, so she did the transfer. I was not able to be there, but my husband um, was there for the transfer. I believe he, or he, maybe actually, I'm I'm sorry. No, none of us were there for the transfer. Okay. It's such a relatable thing though. Cause like everybody, not everybody is able to go to all these appointments because of either COVID or work schedule, especially when you're an intended parent, you know, can't go to all the surrogates appointments or gestational carrier. So it's tricky. Yeah. Like I'm thinking like, no, because I remember this was a whole conversation. We couldn't be there for the transfer. And I remember being really upset about that. And that's why I did want a gestational carrier who lived near me. And ultimately it's my gestational carrier. She's like, it literally is not that long of an appointment. It's nothing is going to happen at this point appointment. It's you don't need to stress about it. Mm-hmm. it was that's, I will say like the benefit of having someone who's done this before is that right. you know, she was so calming. She was like, you're, I promise you, you're not missing anything. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, it's a little bit of a waiting game. And I remember she called me a few days after the transfer and said she was having some bleeding. Um, and I was a complete wreck. And she's like, it's okay. If this doesn't work, we'll do it again. Like again, calming me, which was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I left work. I was hysterically crying. I remember I called my mom and I like, couldn't breathe. And he said, you know, there's some bleeding. I don't know. And she's like, oh, so scary. She was, and my husband was traveling for work at the time because he was a consultant. And my mom said, you know, I'll come to see, I'll come, you know, to your apartment. We, we can hang, we can be together. And I was like, no, I just want to be alone. And I remember I got to my apartment and I called my mom and I was like, where are you? And she was like, you told me not to come. And I was like, well, obviously I didn't mean that. Right. <laughs> Don't you know what I mean? And I just remember being like completely irrational and crazy. Not um, crazy. That's understandable. There's a lot of emotions going on. And it turned out that it was just a little bit of bleeding and she was fine. And she did get pregnant on the first transfer, which I acknowledge is very lucky. Mm-hmm. And obviously not something that happens all the time. And I was really, really lucky for that. You know, but she did live in Virginia and it's like rural Virginia. So we went out there and I was, you know, she would send us, she would send us uh, videos all the time and she'd send us pictures and updates from the doctor. But it really feels you know, there was definitely a disconnect. Like I didn't, and maybe a good or bad way, but like, you know, I wasn't really pregnant. So 
I was kind of just living my life. Right. It was bizarre. But then I yeah. had moments where I'd be like, okay, my baby is, you know, so much old, but it, I don't really feel like I got it. Yeah. And then we did, we did go and visit um, she, her and her fiance at the time invite, you know, said, come, you know, you should come to a doctor's appointment. And we did go to a doctor's appointment. We went out to Virginia and we met her whole family. We went to dinner and we went to the doctor's appointment. It was love. Like they, they are so lovely. Um, you're still friends on Facebook. We Good. I send them, you know, cards and I would love Paige to meet. That's my daughter's name is Paige. I would love her to meet them one day. Yes. And she knows about the whole process, but right. Showed her pictures, but yeah, um, I'm so happy that it worked for you. And you're right, it is very rare. I'm also of one IVF round that was successful, and it was the only round we were going to do uh, with my son, you know, secondary infertility. So I feel so, so lucky that it worked for me as well. It does happen sometimes on the first try, but for many, many people, it does not. So my heart goes out to anybody who's still in the wait and still, you know, going round after round after round. Tell me about when the day that your daughter was born. So it was like a party. Like my so my mom, who's very involved in my life and in my daughter's life, and who has a great relationship with my husband. It was the three of us. And we went to Virginia and it was so it was amazing. My surrogate, and this is why she's a surrogate, was induced so we could be there. And was literally induced. And I swear to you, like 45 minutes later, the baby like popped out of her. And it's, you know, her husband's in the delivery room. I'm in the delivery room. My mom's in the delivery room. My husband's in the delivery room. And it was just amazing. So Um, awesome. So emotional. And my husband, you know, cut the umbilical cord. And then they just give you this baby. And I'm sure everybody regardless if I became a parent feels this way, but I was like, wait, I was like, wait, what? Right. He's like, wait, uh, yes, exactly. And we are supposed to do what with this now? I was like, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah. And just the way that the hospital worked was that they wanted to keep in the hospital, but we couldn't stay in the hospital. So ultimately I had to leave the baby in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And my husband's like, let's go to dinner. And I just felt so weird. I was like, but I just had a baby. And he's like, okay, but I need to eat food. And you didn't just have a baby. You also (laughs) need to eat. So I remember my mom was like, well, I'm just going to stay like a little bit longer. And I was like, to do what? But she was already like in love with my daughter. They have a really special relationship. So she was like, I'm just going to stay longer. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go eat dinner. And so we like then came back, you know, as soon as we could the next morning. And, you know, they did all the normal testing and it's still it still really felt surreal. And, you know, cause I'm still leave, coming in into the hospital, hanging out with this baby who's mine, but I can still leave. It was very odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it turned out that there was going to be a huge storm. And if we didn't leave the day after she was born, we, we were going to potentially be stuck there for a few days. Uh-huh. And at that point, I just wanted to get home and start my life. So the doctor let us go after like 26 hours and we, and I was really scared of flying with a newborn and I had talked to my pediatrician about it and he was like, people do it all the time. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, common, but it's not, people have to do it, you know? And he's like, you'll be okay. And 
Because I was like, you know, I could also drive from Virginia. He's like, that's not a great plan either. And not great for your baby to be sitting in a car for that long. Right, right. Exactly. So he's like, that's not ideal either. And, you know, he kind of made me feel like it's fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went on the plane and I was, I was like walking on air. I was so happy. And I think it also hadn't hit me at this point. Like I was having a child and like how much my life really is changing. Yeah. Remember I gave out like earplugs to everybody around us. Just uh-huh. And of course she was quiet the whole time. Okay. <laughs> got to the air. We got to, we arrived in Boston and my whole family was there to surprise us with signs. Oh, wow. It's like so overwhelming. And I remember, you know, at the doing at surrogacy, I, you know, I was like, I want, you know, even though I was so lucky there were points where I was like, I want to have a, I want to go to a hospital in Boston and give birth and have all my family come and visit me. So there was definitely like, it was so amazing to have three people there and so special and, you know, such a special experience, but there was still that period where I was like, I want to have family there. Mm-hmm. And then of course, everybody's like, no, you don't. They're just annoying and you're exhausted and you want to be alone. And I was like, yeah, but I need to feel that. So I, you know, at that point, I did, you know, it was so amazing to have my family there. Uh-huh. You know, that must have been amazing. So tell me about, I know that you're working now in this field, in this fertility world. What are you doing? And and was it inspired by your own journey? So absolutely. You know, I still was working in the healthcare field and I loved it, but I was, I was working, you know, people don't really talk about this, you know, a lot. And when anybody had a friend who was thinking about using an egg donor or a circuit, they would always be like, oh, would you mind talking to my friend about it? Mm-hmm. Of course, my answer was always, of course. So finally, I said, you know what? I really want to do this. Like, I want to go into a field. I want to talk about this and do this professionally. And now I work for an amazing company called Conceivabilities. Um, and we do both surrogacy and egg donation. We work with clients. And I am a I am the manager of the egg donor program. Mm-hmm. I work, work with both our egg donors and I work with intended parents who want to use an egg donor. And I walk them through the process. And I also um, introduce them to egg donors who we have in our program and try basically to make a match with both parties. So, you know, intended parents can, you know, find egg donors just in the way that I found mine. Uh-huh. So if somebody's listening that's embarking on this journey and going down the egg donor road, what are what's one or two things that you have learned or like things that you wish you knew then that you know now? Sure. I mean, I think one thing is there's so much about nurture versus nature. You know, my daughter is not related to me at all, blood related, but we mm-hmm. like, and it's also because we have the same mannerisms because she's my daughter. She's been with me you know, since day one, you know, she talks like me, she's rude to me and like, gives it right, back. <laughs> right. You know, she's my child. And I was so focused when I was looking for an egg donor, looking for like the perfect egg donor who had every quality I had, but really things that were important are really like the health of the egg donor herself. Um, and of course you have to go with someone you're comfortable with, but ultimately it's your child. And the other thing I, you know, I felt like I lived and lived fertility issues, especially once we started with the surrogacy and donor for a good two to three years. 
And that's all I thought about, all I talked about, all I dreamt about, all I ate about to the point of exhaustion. Yeah. Once you have a child, you don't think about it anymore. I mean, I do because I am working in this field and I'm trying to help people, but you know, ultimately you will get through this and you will just think of your child as your child, not a not as the child that you had via egg donor. Mm-hmm. And someone equated to me, you know, we were talking about breastfeeding and um, I couldn't breastfeed and I was, you know, I was, you know, kind of upset about that. And someone's like, you talk about it so much in the first six months. And it's usually because someone's having a problem with it. They're like, but ultimately you're not going to meet whoever you're friends with when your kid is one or two and be like, oh, did you breastfeed? And they're like, nobody cares. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't become an issue anymore. And that's how I kind of think about, you know, conceiving a child. It's obviously so devastating, especially when you can't and it doesn't come easily. But once you have that child, it's all you're thinking about is that child and raising that child. And it doesn't matter how you got that child. Thank you all so much for listening to Allison's story and definitely check out conceivabilities. And also if you guys are looking for more support, check out fertility rally. It's the place I wish I had when I was going through it. You can check us out on Instagram at fertility rally or our website, which is fertilityrally.com. We offer four support groups a week, three private Facebook groups, tons of content, tons of videos, IRL events, our next rally live, our fifth rally live is coming up in October and so much more. So Blair and I have created this space for you. It's a safe space. It's a non-judgment zone. Everybody is welcome, no matter what you're going through. So definitely reach out to us and ask questions. We open the first week of the month for new members. So our next opening will be the 1st of September. And we are happy to answer any questions that you guys have. But we would love to have you be part of our family. It doesn't matter where you live. We're global because everything's pretty much virtual. So definitely reach out to us, give yourself the gift of support and spread the word to any friends who might be looking for some extra support too. All right. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next time.